Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where we ask, when is Andrew Lloyd Webber going to write a musical about Jack Parsons? I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. I would pay embarrassing sums of money to see Mothman of the Opera. This is our worst cold open yet. Phantom of the Opera stuck in my head yesterday, and it craps, craps, craps me the fuck up. Cracks you up? It cracks me up. Uh, At the end, when Christine is, like, singing her ass off, and the Phantom is just back there like, sing! Sing! I just want her to be like, I fucking am! I know exactly what, like, part you're talking about, and... God. Can't remember the Phantom's name. It's like, shut up, Ted. It's Eric, and I hate that I know that, but honestly, Ted's a way better name. Isn't it Gerard Butler? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I remember in, in grade school catching a ton of shit because I like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and like cats <laughs> because they, well, Joseph wasn't, it was blasphemous, but like everyone like got a hard on for Phantom of the Opera. And it's like, it's this. Same, Same guy, dude. But you know he's not writing about anything religious. So I still haven't seen Jesus Christ Superstar, but I hear John Legend is really good. I assume he would be. Why are we talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber? The listeners are probably probably wondering what the hell. Actually, they probably aren't because they uh, can see the title of the episode in the podcast. I've catcher. talked about Andrew Lloyd Webber a lot before. <laughs> like this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but I feel like we owe them the explanation. Yeah. Today we're going to uh, cover another subject of an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, Eva Peron. I haven't seen Evita. I haven't either, but you know, after reading or after researching all this, I really need to. Like, I just I I want to see the musical version of everything. I am pretty sure that Memories was written for Evita, but it didn't make it in, so he took it to Cats. Sounds like an Andrew Lloyd Webber thing to do. Well, you know. <laughs> uh, so my sources for this are Biography.com. Uh, our Lord and Savior Wikipedia, Thoughtco, Mental Floss, BBC, and EvitaPerone.org. Oh, yeah. She's got her own website that she made herself in 19... No. She's dead. <laughs> She's very dead. She's been dead for a while. I think that's the whole point of the story. <laughs> uh, so Eva Peron was a former first lady of Argentina. And if you ever heard of her, as we said, it's almost certainly in the context of the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Evita in the song Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Like, you know, the one it, Madonna played her in the movies. It's it's it's. Oh, her. right. Yeah. Uh, so this topic is sort of kind of a request from my friend Liesl, because after she listened to the Lobotomies episode, she started texting me fun facts about Eva Perone. I wouldn't call uh, them fun facts. <laughs> I call them sad facts. They're interesting facts. Uh, so this might seem like a wild stretch. We'll get to it. Uh, but it was enough to convince me that she is very worthy of her own episodes. She has had a fascinating life. This is uh, part of our Women Who Deserved Better series. <laughs> Generally, yes. Uh, so Eva Perón was born in a village called Los Toldos in rural Argentina. She was almost certainly born Eva Marie Ibergurin on May 7th, 1919. This is according to her baptismal certificate. There was a birth certificate that lists her year of birth as 1922 and her birth name as Maria Eva Dorde. Uh, but this is speculated that it's likely a forgery created by Eva herself, not as a baby but in 1946 <laughs> see that baby learned a trick we didn't talk about that on air never mind uh 
probably though probably to sanitize her image a bit uh, after her husband was elected president and you know knock her age down three years why not it was the 40s. What was wrong with her image that it had to be sanitized by changing her birthday? We'll get to it. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, we're just going to get this out of the way now. So when it comes to Eva Perone, it is very difficult to discern like what's true and what's legend, what's a myth or propaganda. Like Argentine politics were, they were a little volatile in the 20th century. So depending on like who was in power, she was either a saint or a devil and history would be written and rewritten to reflect that. Um, so this is definitely a line I stole from Liesl, but every source you're going to find on her, including her own words, is going to be propaganda to some degree. So I did my best, you guys. <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> I did my best. Eva was the youngest of five siblings born to her mother, Juana Ibarguren. Uh, her father won... Duarte already had a wife and family in a nearby town. Oh, no. This is... Oh, no. This is about the birth certificate. Yeah. Uh, So it wasn't entirely uncommon at this time, at least not in, like, rural Argentina, for wealthy men to have multiple families, which, of course not. Why would it be? (laughs) Duarte, however, would not remain wealthy forever, and at the time of Eva's birth... Uh, He worked as the estate manager of a very large, successful farm, and he benefited greatly from his friendships with, like, the wealthy wealthy landowners that controlled the government at the time. Uh, But when the reform-focused Radical Party came into power later that year, Duarte found himself out of a job, so he went back to his first family and abandoned Juana and their five children, leaving the family in poverty. You know, it's nice to hear about assholes from different countries. (laughs) And not just all the assholes in our country. Exactly. Uh, Duarte would later be killed in a car accident when Eva was only six years old. So the popular retelling is that when Juana and her children arrived for the funeral to pay their respects, Duarte's wife ordered them out of the church. Which seems very rude. This bitch. But, uh, uh, but like everything, like this is disputed by Eva's surviving siblings and also the son of one of their half-sisters. Like, they've stated that the two families actually maintained a pretty cordial relationship. I guess maybe you kind of just dealt with it. I mean, with these kind of people who, like, you know, kind of make up big bits of their story to make it more dramatic, you know there's always one sibling who's just sitting there living their normal life like, this lion-ass bitch. (laughs) Duarte's wife may have even predeceased him, so ostensibly, unless she was a zombie, wouldn't have been alive to kick Eva's family out of the funeral. That would have been a great scene in the musical. (laughs) The zombie wife comes back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Imagine the song she would have gotten. <laughs> so in 1930, the family moved to Hunin, which is a city in the province of Buenos Aires. Like one of her sisters became a teacher. Her mother took in boarders, cooked and worked as a seamstress. So they, they made it work. In Hunin, Eva participated in school plays and concerts and fell in love with the cinema. By 1934, she had already decided that she was going to be a famous actress. So at the age of 15, she moved to Buenos Aires. Where one goes to become a famous actress. When you're 15, yeah. Well, and when I you're guess in Argentina. In South America. Yeah, like that makes sense. <laughs> they have their own thing. There's a quote from her biography, which I particularly like and a little bit relate to, where she says, Like the birds, I've always preferred the freedom of the forest. I haven't been able to tolerate the minimum loss of freedom, which comes from living with your parents or in your hometown. Yeah. I think a lot of us can probably, yeah. So as with many things in Eva's early life, there's a legend and then there's a slightly less exciting version that's probably the truth. In this case, it's often reported that Eva ran off to Buenos Aires with a famous singer named Augustin Magaldi or that Magaldi somehow persuaded Eva's mother to let her leave with him, which... But uh, there is, of course, absolutely no evidence to back that up. Like, 
Magaldi was never in the area that year. And Augustine usually- Magaldi sounds like a man who only eats soup. It's <laughs> very specific. <laughs> you were saying? <laughs> a more likely scenario is that Eva traveled to Buenos Aires with her mother, who accompanied her to an audition at the radio station. Uh, and then, you know, went back when she got the job. Um, yeah. By all accounts, like, her mother was not happy about any of this. Who would be? With, like, I can't imagine her mom was happy about much of anything. It sounds like she's had a real hard time. Yeah, like, she's, like, working f- three jobs and trying to raise five kids on and her had a own. husband who had another family. Yeah, not not great. All the same, she arranged for Eva to live with family friends and charged her older brother, who was already living in the city, to keep an eye on her. Like in the mummy. Which I'm sure went fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like the mummy. All right, I can picture it now. I just needed that touchstone. Thank you. <laughs> so after the move, Eva found work with a number of theater companies, and in 1937, she landed her first film role in the movie Segundos Afuera. She continued to perform on the radio and on the stage, always sending money back to her mother and siblings in Hunin. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, on occasion, she would act in like bit parts and B-grade movies. Her one starring role was then actually in a movie that was never released to the public. But uh, while her film career never really got any traction, she did find great success on the radio. And at the age of 20, she and a business partner started their own production company called The Company of Theater of the Air. I kept waiting for you to say that she found success in, like, porn. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is not this kind of episode. <laughs> she was a radio lady, which is very classy. Yes, we're super classy. This is like <laughs> the radio of 2020. Oh, God, you're right. I never made that connection. Mm-hmm. She was a very famous podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's for all you uh, Gen Z kids out there who don't know what the radio is. I'm pretty sure they know what the radio is. <laughs> Shut up, Emily. I was making a funny. <laughs> So the company produced radio soap operas uh, and a series of biographies about famous women, where Eva would star as uh, Queen Elizabeth I, Catherine the Great, and actress Sarah Bernhardt. By 1943, she was one of the highest paid radio actresses in Argentina. I mean, that's a pretty small pool, like a very specific pool, but like, good for her. Yeah, she did all right. Uh, She's about to do a little better. Well... (laughs) <laughs> we'll get into it. It's going to be a real roller coaster <laughs> of an episode. So, yeah, speaking of, in January 15th, 1944, an earthquake in the city of San Juan killed 10,000 people. Yep. Okay. <laughs> a fund was established for the victims, and many actors, singers, and radio performers, Eva included, took up collections for the needy. Uh, and then after a week of fundraising, there was this big benefit gala held at Luna Park Stadium in Buenos Aires. Ava's efforts earned her an invite, and it was at this gala that she first crossed paths with her, with her future husband, Colonel Juan Domingo Perón. He was a jerk, right? We'll get into it. I'm about to say a lot of things that you will, I'm sure you will form an opinion on. I actually know very little about this. <laughs> uh, so Perón had come to power after a military coup the year before, and at the time they met, he was serving as Argentina's like Secretary of Labor or Minister of Labor, that role. Uh, He was a widower, having lost his wife to cancer in 1938, and when he met Eva, he was 48 and she was 24. Gross! Yes, it's gross. Uh, But apparently they hit it off and were seen leaving the gala together around 2 in the morning. Within a week, uh, Eva had packed up the bags of Perón's current mistress, now former mistress, and evicted her from his house. (laughs) 
So before their meeting, Eva was not known to be particularly political, and she had more she more or less just kind of absorbed all the opinions that were fed to her by Perone. Like Perone even stated in his memoir that he kind of like set out to mold her into an extension of himself. That sounds very familiar. It is. It's kind of gross. I don't know. It was the 1940s. I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) I'm not going to romanticize their relationship because it creeps me out, but like it is what it is. So, <laughs> Eva was soon Perone's most ardent supporter. In 1944, she launched a new daily radio program she called Toward a Better Future, which dramatized all his accomplishments in like a very soap opera kind of way, uh, and it essentially acted as pro-Perone propaganda. Perone had positioned himself as a champion of the de- Deus Camisados, which is the workers and the poor of the nation. It literally translates to the shirtless ones. Uh, <laughs> and he enjoyed their considerable support. Uh, less enthused about Peron was pretty much anybody else, including conservative factions, wealthy landowners, the Radical Party, and the Communist Party. <laughs> Nobody liked him. Uh, they accused him of a bunch of dictatorial stuff like media censorship and the brutalization of protesters. This hurts, Sarah. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Uh, here's the thing. I don't. I don't think they were really wrong. Like most people today, probably would characterize Peron as a bit of a fascist. Uh, He was a big admirer of Benito Mussolini. Okay. uh, And offered protection to Nazi war criminals after World War II. No, crimbles. Crimbles. (laughs) The Nazi war crimbles. That sounds like a Christmas decoration. (laughs) Delicious. I was going to say more like a little, like a cake or a cookie. Like a kringle. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, he did establish diplomatic relations with Israel, and Argentina would accept more Jewish immigrants than any other country in Latin America. So I don't know if it was necessarily he was anti-Semitic. Not that that makes a difference if you're, you know, just letting Nazis into your country. Say, if you support Nazis, then you're anti-Semitic. Like, there's no, Fair. there's no shades there. This is all just to say, like, his legacy is just as complicated as Eva's. I'm going to refrain from making value judgments based on things I've read on Wikipedia. But this is... <laughs> well, that makes you smarter than, like, 90% of the population. So, like, yeah. congratulations. Uh, despite the opposition, Perone's power continued to grow. The year he met Eva, he was elected to vice president while still retaining his position of as head of the Labor Department and the newly created role of Minister of War. They didn't have one of those before? I guess not. Well, they weren't really. I think they were like neutral-ish in World War II. Or at least they didn't side with the Allies and that was a thing. All right. But... In October 1945, a group of army officers forced Perone to resign, and he was taken into custody. Uh, when news of his arrest was leaked to newspapers, there was an outrage among the country's working class. I s- missed writing this in my notes, but essentially, like, he was, you know, kind of consolidating all this power, and people were like, oh, shit, we should take care of this before he, you know, becomes president. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and on the morning of October 17th, surprise, it didn't work. Uh, workers <laughs> from all over Buenos Aires uh, refused to go to work. And instead, a crowd of hundreds of thousands strong gathered in front of the Casa Rosada, which is Argentina's government. It's like the White House mm-hmm. uh, to demand his release. Uh, Eva has often been credited with organizing the rally. I think that's kind of how they portray it in the musical. Uh, and while she she did appeal to a judge to have him released, but her role in this particular drama, again... Widely disputed. We're going to say the word disputed a lot. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, the bulk of the organizing was done by the various labor unions. And even she never claimed the role of leader for herself either. So it wasn't like she wrote this in her biography and tried to make herself bigger. It was just I assume part people, of the legend. I yeah. assume her critics uh, were part of the people that are like, this 
was her fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she may have been involved in some capacity, but at the time, like, she was still just an actress and she wasn't particularly popular with Perone's inner circle. So it's unlikely at this point in her life that she would have had the political connections to actually pull something like this off. Yeah. But it does make for a good scene in an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. I mean, Cats made for a good scene in an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. The bar is not high. There's an entire musical about trains. Wait, what? What we is not, the Trains musical? Have we not discussed Starlight We've, Express? Oh, I've heard of this. Is that what it's about? It's about toy trains that come to life. It's like Toy Story, what? except in the 70s. This is what Starlight Express is about? You're welcome. I have to, like, go out into the world with this knowledge in my head now. Yeah. Thanks a lot, I guess. <laughs> have fun going on that YouTube hole later. <laughs> so these protests, these protests brought business to a grinding halt. And the government finally was forced to re- forced to release Perón. At 11 p.m. that evening, he stepped onto the balcony of the Casa Rosada and announced that new elections would be held. Four days later, Perón and Eva were buried in a discreet civil ceremony back in her hometown. Uh, and they would later have a church wedding in December of that year. Because if it's not a church wedding, it don't it does count. count. Remember, South America, very Catholic. <laughs> Uh, Eva quit her radio job and joined her husband on the campaign trail, something that was like completely heard of at the time. Like, so now that she was a wife of a presidential candidate, everyone wanted to know everything about her. But like Eva, who like she was very intentional about her public image. I I get the impression, at least from my research, that like she knew what she was doing. She was kind of crafting a persona and a legend around herself as she was doing all this. I mean, that's also part of no hate being an actress. Yeah. And honestly, like, I don't blame her. Like, if you're in the public eye, especially as a woman, you got to yeah. be thoughtful about that. So, but because of this, she wasn't always forthcoming about her past, especially, you know, the parts about her being illegitimate and that she, you know. Which it shouldn't matter, poor. but it fucking but matters, But in 1940s Argentina, it super mattered. Uh, it was probably around this time that she forged that birth certificate. Okay. Like, aging her down and then making her look legitimate was essentially the idea. I think the aging her down was just kind of an added bonus. <laughs> Yeah. And notice I, she was like 25 at this time and aging herself down like, oh, God, I'm getting up worse. in years. <laughs> but again, society is terrible. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it was, of course, like the illegitimacy, that would have been a scandal. And she was ashamed of growing up in poverty. But like being so guarded about all of this also meant that everyone else just kind of would fill in the blanks themselves. And that likely contributed to the split in opinion on her that depending on who you talk to, either Eva Perone is a modern day saint who dedicated her life to the poor and disadvantaged, or she was an opportunist. She's probably fine. Like, she's just middle. Yeah. Yeah. So she was an opportunist. She would do just about anything to advance her husband's political career because, you know, God forbid uh, yeah, well, a woman yeah. ever display anything even remotely resembling ambition. We hate that. In the end, Perón won the election in a landslide and was sworn in on June 5th, 1946. Eva insisted that she be included in his presidential portrait. And to this day, Perón's is the only official president portrait in Argentina to include his wife. That's kind of a badass bitch move. It's great. And actually, I'm going to pause here and send you it because it's she just has the most shit eating grin. While we're paused, I also want to tell you that Starlight Express is performed entirely on roller skates. I hate that. (laughs) I hate that so much. I'm so mad at you. She's my hero. <laughs> yeah, I love her just a little bit. Also, that's a dope dress. Yeah, her dresses look amazing. I mean, I know it's a painting, but like... But she posed for it. Like, that's a thing. Yeah. Anyway. So as Perone assumed the presidency, 
Eva began to ask herself what kind of first lady she would be. This is like, this is a totally normal and common thing today where like wives and husbands, but let's face it, mostly wives will often carve out a role for themselves within their spouse's administration. So are they going to be traditional, political? Like what causes are they going to champion? Yeah, it's kind of like the first lady picking like her cause, yeah. which I'm still not entirely sure what the current one is, but... Bullying? Sure. Online bullying? All right. Keep it close to home, I guess. <laughs> this was not a thing in Argentina in the 1940s. First ladies were expected to dress up and look pretty and attend state dinners. I mean, that sounds nice. Yeah. Eva, had, like, she, and she had no problem fulfilling that role, but she pointed out that, like, this is exactly what she had done as an actress, and she didn't want to limit herself to that. No, that's fair. So, yeah, which I get. So she does a little bit of rebranding. Um, so because Perone held this dual role of elected president and the leader of, a like, a movement, so would she. She, um, so she wrote, I am Eva Perone, the wife of the president, whose work is simple and agreeable. I am also Evita, the wife of the leader of a people who have deposited in him all their faith, hope, and love. Mm. So as one of her first major duties as first lady <laughs> was a goodwill tour. Are you laughing at duties? <laughs> you said major duty. <laughs> you know what, Emily? You're a major duty. <laughs> Just picture a poop in a little military uniform. I'm sorry you were telling me about this, ladies. I hate you. Mm -hmm. And yet here you are. Cursed to record a podcast with you for a thousand years. I mean, you probably shouldn't have made that deal with the Crossroads demon. (laughs) You can complain to Sadie about me later. I will. So one of the first things she did as First Lady in 1947 was a goodwill tour of Europe, which is prompted by the invitation of Spanish dictator Francisco Franco. Uh, he was the bad guy in Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> oh, that's a good name, though. Yeah. Really? He was the so, bad guy in Pan's Labyrinth? I mean, he wasn't the bad guy. He was like, but the dad worked for Franco. Didn't that take place in Spain? Yes. He was a Spanish dictator. He, she was going to Spain. Y- yeah, you just said that. Sorry. I was yeah. <laughs> My bad. You can cut that part out. (laughs) So after World War II, Argentina was just about the only country that had maintained a diplomatic relationship with Spain. Perón himself didn't make the trip because he was already kind of getting flack for being a fascist and didn't want to perpetuate that by going all the way to Europe to meet with a fascist. Probably a good call. Uh, Eva was allowed to accept the invitation, but advisors decided to play it safe and they expanded the visit to Italy, France, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom. Just, just so, kind of couch it in, like, a European tour. Yeah, no, she's going to Europe. It's a goodwill tour. She's not just going to go hang out with Franco. It's it's a whole thing. This trip was dubbed a rainbow tour, and it kicked off in Madrid, where she was welcomed by more than three million people. She visited the tombs of Spanish monarchs Ferdinand and Isabella. And oh, those gave out, bitches. Yeah, those assholes. Uh, and gave out money to the poor children that she met on her travels. Uh, from Franco, she received the highest award given by the Spanish government, the Order of Isabella the Catholic. For doing what? For being cool, I guess. All right. <laughs> and for showing up. I don't know. Uh, she was received less warmly in Italy, where the people considered her an ally of Mussolini. <laughs> yeah. But she, but she did get to meet the Pope. The Pope was cool with it. I mean, if there's anybody who's okay with a dictatorship, it's the Pope. <laughs> This was also the time the Catholic Church was, you know, funneling Nazi war criminals to Argentina. So. <sighs> in France, she toured Versailles and gained a new appreciation for Dior. 
a new appreciation for Dior. I don't know if I actually finished saying that word. <laughs> she would ultimately skip her trip to the United Kingdom when it was decided that the royal family would not receive her. Uh, so she decided she wouldn't go at all. But this and was claimed the exhaustion. current queen, right? Like, uh, Actually, her dad was still in office. Okay. I think just barely. So like before the first season of The Crown. Yes. Got it. Like the first two episodes of The Crown. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Her last step of the tour was in Switzerland, where uh, protesters threw tomatoes at her. And after this, she decided she was need no more touring. I would also cancel a trip. Yeah. She'd also been in Europe for like two months now, but she was an international superstar. Time magazine put her on the cover. Uh, this honor was somehow tempered by the periodical was also the first to mention Eva had been born out of wedlock. Uh, and so in retaliation, Time was banned from Argentina for several months. I mean, it's a shitty thing to point out. Like, look at this lady also. It wasn't nice, but also... Well, no, you shouldn't ban entire (laughs) magazines from your country. No. But, like, maybe be fucking nice. (laughs) (laughs) That was a really great emphasis you just put on that strong point that you made. Yeah, this episode is being co-hosted by your drunk aunt. (laughs) So outside of all her official functions, uh, the poor and working class of Argentina would come to know Eva as Evita, or Little Eva. Uh, And in her time as First Lady, she would become their champion. Uh, It's really this work more than anything else that's become her enduring legacy. It's the reason she's still so beloved today. A lot of this was done through the Eva Perón Foundation, which Perón himself had established in 1948, uh, just basically to fund Eva's charitable activities. That's nice. Uh, some do allege that the foundation was kind of just a front for funneling government money into their personal Swiss bank account. Literally uh, every time you say something nice and I say, that's nice, you're like, and also Nazis. This is the whole episode. It was also alleged that she didn't keep records of expenditures because she was too busy giving money to the poor. This isn't necessarily true. There are some records, like the Minister of Finance kept records. The foundation actually began with 10,000 pesos provided by Eva herself. Was that uh, like $6? I have no idea. Nineteen forty money. I'm not even going to begin to try and figure it out. Did you say six million pesos? Ten thousand. Oh wow, that wasn't even a number that you. <laughs> not even no. There was Let's no similarities. Pesos to Argentinian Argentine pesos, pesos in 1948. All right, so this is going to be a multi-step uh, equation, yeah. but hold hold on to your pants. Okay, so ten. So in today money. 10,000 pesos is about $135. Uh, So let's go back. And you said this was 1940? 1948. About $1,500. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. I also don't even know how to begin, like, what was the value of the peso to a dollar in 1948? And then what? Yeah, I mean, I just did a conversion pesos to u.s than u.s inflation calculator so that could be off but yeah who knows but uh further funding the bulk of it uh, came from unions taxes and businesses that were uh strongly encouraged by the government to contribute as in like people and organizations would face fines or jail time if they didn't give to it okay so it got it's cool it's cool to be president of argentina in 1948 uh, so was the foundation 100% on the up and up? Definitely not. Uh, did it do some actual good? Yes. Uh, the foundation gave scholarships, built hospitals. It distributed 400,000 pairs of shoes every year. Like, 
there's demonstrable good here. Yeah. Uh, it even built entire communities, such as Ciudad Evita, literally Evita City, uh, which, this is the kicker, was actually built in the shape of her profile. Damn. It's cool to be president of Argentina in 1948. He's the ultimate flex. Uh, so some have described her social work as programmed generosity and calculated compassion, which feels a little harsh, but also might be true to some extent. Like, I think she knew the kind of image she wanted to project and made her decisions accordingly, but there are worse ways to make a name for yourself. And, like, she actually did the work. She essentially took over the ministries of health and labor while her husband was president, uh, and she installed herself in an office, and she would meet one-on-one with working-class people in need of assistance. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, and her aim was always, like, direct social help, an immediate solution. She would give them a job. She would give them medicine. She'd find housing. Like, she wanted to solve the problem in front of her. Uh, And she had to interrupt a meeting for some official protocol, like, People would often remain in her office, and she would always return. She wouldn't go home until, like, everyone had been taken care of. Um, during nice. Yeah. During some periods, she would work as many as 20 to 22 hours a day, <laughs> often ignoring her husband's request that she, you know, cut back on her workload or, God forbid, take weekends off. Damn, girl. <laughs> Eva also championed the cause of women's suffrage in Argentina, and she supported the 1946 bill that finally gave women the vote. Okay, so she seems cool at this point. Yeah. She- I'm waiting for the other... I can't remember the Spanish word for shoe to drop. (laughs) I did not take Spanish in high school. I took French because that was useful. Yeah, me too. This is kind of the thing, though. Like, she did a lot of cool things. There were some problematic things about her background. She is a complicated whole person. Weird how that is a thing. So she founded the Women's Peronist Party, or Peronist Party. I don't know how to pronounce that particular word. Uh, Writing articles and giving speeches about how women could take an active role in society which is very cool. Thousands of women who had previously been apolitical became active in Argentine politics because of Eva Perón. Uh, one cool thing. Cool. I don't know this if I should cool qualify that. cool in quotation marks? <laughs> I'll let you decide. Mm. So when women began to enter the legislature, she oversaw the design of the Salon Rosado, literally pink room, a meeting space in, con- in the Congress building where women could discuss important issues without having to deal with men. No, that does sound nice. Uh, it is, as its name suggests, adorned with pink walls, curtains, and upholstery. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, I have no problem with it, but it's still, like, it feels both, like, very cool and a little bit condescending. It is like, unnecessarily gendered, is, but this is also yeah. the 1950s. Yeah. There are worse things. Uh, today, it's known as Eva Perón Room. Like, there's a bust of her, uh, and, like, they have the flag that was on her coffin. Like, very much all about Eva. Uh, not everybody was so enamored with her. <laughs> of course. Neither the army nor the aristocracy were fans of Eva. Uh, they accused her of depleting the country's gold reserves and interfering in government affairs. As if any of them would do any differently. I was going to say, how dare that money that the country has go to the people in the country? The skepticism was reflected in a lot of her press coverage. And in response, Eva went and bought her own goddamn newspaper, uh, the Democracia, <laughs> which featured her heavily, always in a positive light, of course. So she po- had her own O magazine. Essentially, they posted a lot of glamorous photos of her. Like, it was just like, she's Oprah. Eva Perone all the time in the newspaper. Looking great. She's Eva Perompra. <laughs> Boy, I hate you. Is this the episode where you quit the podcast? That's every episode. Just Danny Glover, I'm getting too old for this shit. Stop making jokes, Emily. It's about to get sad. Oh, no. 
Eva remained incredibly popular throughout Perón's first term as president. Uh, and her husband, and as her husband looked ahead to the 1951 election, Eva began having aspirations of running alongside him as his vice president. Well, that would be dope shit. Real House of Cards scenario. I never made it past <laughs> the third season. That wasn't a mistake. Uh, so this wasn't entirely a crazy idea. Like she did enjoy considerable, considerable report, considerable support. Wow. Among the unions, the working poor, and her own Peronist Women's Party, the substantial voting bloc that was about to vote in their first presidential election. Uh, But despite a rally and uh, other calls for her candidacy, Eva would ultimately decide against running for vice president, in part due to, like, very strong opposition expressed by Argentina's military leaders and its oligarchy. Why should their opinion fucking matter? Uh, But also because she had been diagnosed with cervical cancer the year before. Oh, no. Cervical cancer, funny enough, is also, well, not funny. It's also what killed... There's nothing funny about that. It's also what killed Perón's first wife. So his dick's cursed. It's speculated that her cancer, as well as Eva's, was caused by the human papillomavirus, or HPV. Oh, my God, his dick is literally cursed. (laughs) Which both wives would have contracted from Juan Perón. He killed them with his dick. So when does this tie into lobotomies? Get there. Get your HPV vaccine, ladies. If you haven't already, I know that was a big deal like 10 years ago. I don't know yeah, if they're still... Like, it's just a thing now. People get it, right? Okay. Anyway. Disease-free since 2003 and probably before, but it didn't rhyme. <laughs> Throughout 1951, Eva suffered from fainting episodes and abdominal pain, uh, though her diagnosis was kept secret from the public, of course. Uh, Just a few months after she declined to run for vice president, she underwent a hysterectomy and chemotherapy, which was a novel treatment at the time. Yeah, get rid of that shit. (sighs) Yeah, her health continued to deteriorate, and on election day in November, she voted for the first time from her hospital bed. Like, they had to bring her a ballot. Yeah. Her last appearance in public would be at her husband's inaugural parade in June 1952, and then she would die over just just over a month later on July 26th, 1952, at the age of 33. I thought her death was like some big dramatic like murder or something. I mean, big dramatic cancer. Uh, a Yale neurosurgeon who has studied Eva's skull x-rays believes she may have been given a prefrontal lobotomy in the last few months of her life, either to relieve her pain or, as part of a political conspiracy, to control her increasingly erratic behavior. There we go. Uh, the, it's just a theory, though. Like, I, like, read up on it. It's this one guy who thinks that. Uh, <laughs> there is how all of these fucking theories go. I've, there doesn't seem to be any contemporary evidence to back it up. Like, no one, like, has come forward and said, oh, yeah, we uh, flew down that asshole doctor whose name I've forgotten, and he, you know, shoved an ice pick through her eye. I just heard flew down that asshole, and my brain, like, <laughs> talked up for a second. I was like, oh, God. You're welcome. This is for Starlight Express. <laughs> I'm glad this is the, the turn the conversation has taken during at this point in the episode. I feel very bad for her. It is very sad. She was way too young. She was our age. Which I don't she think... She was your age. <laughs> you're close enough. And yeah, it's it's very sad. That sounded really funny. <laughs> it's definitely Wednesday night at 9 o'clock, isn't it? I mean, it's it's 6.42, but... Yeah, and the godless <laughs> coasts. I don't know. The godless coasts. <laughs> Only one of the coasts is godless. True. It's just you guys. <laughs> Before her death... 
Argentina's Congress had given Eva the title of spiritual leader of the nation, and she was mourned accordingly. Can we give that title to Marianne Williamson uh, after this next election? Yes, let's do like it. That would benefit everybody. The government suspended all official activities for two full days, and flags were flown at half mast for a week and a half. Despite the fact that she never held elected office, Eva was given a state funeral, uh, which reported which a reported three million people attended, and her body lay in state. For two weeks. I always thought lay in state, because I'd only ever heard it in, like, terms of presence and stuff, meant that they just hung out, like, they put the body at the Capitol. I didn't think that it meant, like, just laying there. Uh, yeah. I mean, people fly, file past and stuff, but... Yeah. Uh, this is not where our story ends. After Eva's death, Juan Perón had her body prepared by a particularly skilled embalmer and put on display at the offices of the CGT, the largest parentist trade union. Are there pictures? Yes. Plans are made to construct a memorial in her honor, one that was to be larger than the Statue of Liberty. Uh, the weirdly, the statue wasn't going to be of her. Uh, it was going to be of a dude. Uh, but what? It was a, <laughs> the idea was it would be a man representing the deus Comisados that she had championed. Maybe she would have preferred that. Who knows? Uh, like that of Lenin, like Perón wanted to put Eva's body permanently on display at the base of the monument to inspire perpetual mourning. Okay, so here's the thing. Lenin's body did not age well. Like, it's mostly wax at this point. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure hers would have been too. <laughs> but here's the thing. Never came to pass because before the monument was completed, Perón was overthrown in a military coup. He hastily fled the country and left Eva's body behind. A dick. To be fair, he was probably running for his life. Okay, I mean, sure. <laughs> After Perón was deposed, Argentina's new military leaders banned anything pro Perón, including Eva's corpse. It disappeared, and for 16 years, no one actually knew what had happened to it. Uh, it was only in 1971 that it was revealed that the new government, fearing Eva could remain a symbolic figure for the poor. I thought you were going to say rise from the dead. I mean, maybe that. Let's write that movie. <laughs> Evita 2. <laughs> Back in action. Mostly they just didn't want the poor to have anything nice. <laughs> so they kept her body hidden away. First in a van and then in an office. Uh, finally, in 1957, they sent the body to a cemetery in Milan, Italy, where it was buried under a fake name. In God. 1971, the body was exhumed and flown to Spain, where Juan Perón was living in exile with his third wife, Isabel Perón. Did she die of cervical cancer? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. God, I hate saying this. While the body had been damaged, it was apparently in good enough shape that Perón and Isabel decided to keep Eva in their dining room on a platform next to the table. Isabel did not agree to that. Isabel, I get the impression, thought it was fine. There are stories of her, like, because the body was a little bit damaged, so they had to fix it up. So, like, yeah, Isabel, like, brought out a comb and, like, combed her hair and made everything presentable. And it's just like, uh I hate it. <laughs> it's, it's truly terrible. <laughs> Juan Perón would later return to Argentina, and in 1973, he was again elected president, uh, with his wife Isabel serving as his vice president. She would assume the office when he died the following year, the first female president in the Western Hemisphere. Should be noted that the United States has not had a lady president, but just saying we could have had that, but you guys didn't want it, and that's fine. Actually, I don't think it's that we didn't want it. No, we did. That's right. She, we did uh, want won it. the majority of the votes. It was Sometimes I get so us. depressed, I forget this. 
Isabel had Eva's body repatriated to Argentina, where it was once again put on display. This time next to Perón. I'm going to say Isabel seems chill. <laughs> yeah, I think I get the impression that she's like, oh, I, I'm a fan of your dead wife. Let's bring her back. Like she's out there like being president and like being cool with ex-wives. and uh, Eva would finally be put to rest in 1976, buried in her family tomb at La Ricolata Cemetery in Buenos Aires. That's nice. Also, uh, Isabel's real cute. I was just doing some Googling. (laughs) The Argentine government reportedly took elaborate measures to keep her tomb secure, burying her beneath two trapdoors and like a couple of decoy coffins. It is rumored her tomb is so secure it could withstand a nuclear attack. The Mummy (laughs) 4. It is very deep underground, so maybe it could. Who knows? I'm going to call Brendan Fraser. <laughs> uh, today, Eva Perón is still a major figure in Argentina. Uh, Peronism is still an influential political mo- political movement. And while the love isn't universal, like the anniversary of her death is still marked each year by Argentines around the country. And she's featured. she's been featured on coins and bills. Uh, Ciudad Evita, despite undergoing a couple of name changes when, you know, Perón was out of power, still bears her name today. They changed it back to the original. Oh, good. Some in Argentina would like to see her canonized as a saint, particularly because she, because she did so much work for the poor. Uh, church officials, even in Argentina, have said that's probably not going to happen. It's since so hard to be... Like, you have to have miracles and shit. It's a lot of shit, but also, like, she wasn't helping the poor out of any particular religious conviction, which is... She's just doing it because it was the right thing to do. Yeah, God forbid, right? But whatever. Uh, internationally, or at least in most of the English-speaking world, Eva's story is known thanks to, again, the Android Viper musical Evita and the 1996 film that was based on it, starring Madonna and Antonio Banderas. And I'm assuming Banderas is playing Peron, and that's very generous to Juan Peron. <laughs> I mean, it usually is. Like, in The Conjuring, very hot versions of the Warrens. Oh, yeah, very generously attractive uh, no, Jonathan Price from Pirates of the Caribbean played Juan Perón. Mm. So Elizabeth Swan's dad. Real? I need to look this up. The old version of him? There was only one version of Elizabeth Swan's dad. No, the old version of Juan Perón, I mean. I mean, it would have been like a middle-aged version of him because Jonathan Price was born in 1947. Oh, so he played some other guy who I don't even know. I want to see this movie now. Jonathan Price. I mean, it looks like she was fucking Antonio Banderas in the film. Also, I mean, that's I, what I assumed. It, it's just a lot of white people, except for Antonio Banderas in I a mean, movie that was set in South America. But it it was uh, 1996, so whatever. What are you gonna do? Yeah, interesting. Just reading the cast list of this now. Well, that's all I got. <laughs> I mean, that was very interesting. I had uh, no knowledge of this. No, and honestly, neither did I, like, beyond, like, she was Argentine and uh, was, did things and had she a musical She did not want the her. country to cry for her is basically yes. what I knew here. I have had that song stuck in my head for three days. And I'm sure I will again when this episode is posted. I'll just replace it with Memories or a song from Starlight Express. I'm never Googling Starlight Express. I know to. You have to see what the costumes look like. I know too much about this already, and I don't like it. I refuse. You won't regret it. It's it's like Tron on skates. No. I'm going to get you someday. (laughs) 
You're just gonna rickroll me with a YouTube video, Starlight Express. I just need you to see the costumes. Anyway, so if you've seen Starlight Express, uh, we are on t- Twitter at Afternoonified, uh, Instagram at Afternoonified, getafternoonified.com. You can email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Remember to rate, subscribe, review, all of that fun stuff. We have new merch with all of the uh, proceeds going to Black Lives Matter. Uh, it's cute-ass merch. Yeah, go buy some of it. It's adorable. There's even some Alice Roosevelt merch, which is, uh, again, cute. I'm waiting for Sarah to look at her texts. No, now I won't. You've got to at some point. Nope. I'm going to delete it. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) We love you. I'm going to need you all to roll plus charm to do the ad. That's a five. I got a ten. Eight. All right, Travis. Buddy can manage to get out the name of the show, but not much else. Monster Pod. Sadie. Jimmy is going to be able to get out the premise, but you didn't roll high enough for any spoilers. Monster Pod is a real play Monster of the Week podcast where four government-employed idiots try to save the world. Sarah. Thomason rolled high enough to finish the ad. Releases every other Friday here on So Below Media. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.